good to see y'all January 1st. I'm, I, I'm just going to do this one time because I don't want to have to do it a thousand sometimes. Happy New Year. I'm not going to say any more times than that. Happy New Year. It's good to have you. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor of the church. We're glad you're here. We're really glad you're here today. Um, the first Sunday after Christmas is traditionally the lowest attended Sunday of the year by far. You can kind of see that. So it's always special to have our guests, but I want you to know today is really special. And, and because of that, if you can come by, you know, and, and say hey to me, I'll be out in the comments. It's easier to, to say hey when I don't have so many people. Now I'm going to tell you, tell you what's going to happen next week. The holiday's clear. The service will be packed again. And so don't forget, some of you are fairly new. We have an 11 o'clock service. has a little bit more room. 12, 15 has a lot more room. But we love having all of you. Thanks for coming and being with us. Um, and, and so just going to say this, going to make sure, just going to get this out there. Be sure you eat your black eyed peas today. If you're not, now, if you're not from traditional Southern Baptist land, Texas, uh, the South, Midwest, and the good parts of New Mexico, the good parts in New Mexico. I found out there are some parts that don't eat black-eyed peas. I don't know what hope you have for this year. Because you eat black-eyed peas to have a happy year, be prosperous, and all the, all the great things that will happen. My mama used to always call me on New Year's towards the end that you eat black-eyed peas. Of course, I said yes. She said, don't be tempting Jesus by not eating black-eyed peas, son. <laughs> I, I don't ever want to tempt Jesus and not eat black-eyed peas. I do enough things to tempt Jesus. Now, I'm not going to add to it by not eating black-eyed peas. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, it was in the mid-90s. I was pastoring in First Baptist Church in Laredo, Texas. We was, uh, I think it was Labor Day, and we were heading up home to San Antonio a couple hours away on I-35. Now, the rain was just pouring down. And uh, it was just pouring and pouring. And in bad weather, I like to be clear of traffic. So I had about an eighth of a mile in front and back. There's no other cars. And even though I'm driving below the speed limit because of the rain, and I am driving below the speed limit, mid-90s, what was the speed limit? Yeah, I was probably driving below the speed limit either way. My car started hydroplaning. You know, and it's, it's a sick feeling. And it spins, man. It does like... Uh, 720. I mean, and when it was over, the spirit Kelly was in the back seat like that. That was so cool, you know. <laughs> but as I'm coming out of that spin on I-35, there's a concrete barrier up ahead, and I'm like, man, this is gonna be a collision. There's nothing I can do about it. And I'm thinking, what do I do to prepare for that collision? Because it's coming. Now, by the grace of God, it didn't happen. I mean, inches from hitting that wall. Um, but it always reminded me that, or I thought back on it from time to time, and remind myself that. In life, there are things that we can't avoid, collisions that occur. When you are a follower of Christ, inevitably, you have a collision with the culture that you are in. It's just the way it is, except maybe for brief periods of time, brief periods of time, Christianity is always in collision with the culture. I mean, those brief periods of time have been like 200 years of American history was part of that, though that's ending. Um, John R.W. Stott, brilliant, brilliant man, died uh, 10 years ago. Most influential man of my generation in terms of a pastor, an unbelievable scholar, um, and, and could preach and make, make the most complicated things so simple and influence the whole generation, including me. If you come here very often, you are influenced by John Stott because I was influenced and still am by him. But all these books and commentaries, I have so many of them. In one of his books, Stott says, Christianity is counterculture. And the first time I saw that, I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. He said, everything we do is in a culture that's hostile to Christ. We always must be counterculture. We're in that world today in America. As we come into 2023, we're, we're, we're counterculture. And, and, and to some degree, we live in a post-Christian, anti-Christian culture. Yeah, but... One of the things that I see more and more of is just this pervasive philosophy. Really, it's not just a philosophy, only it's a worldview uh, called moral relativism. We've talked about that before. 
It's, it's the idea, you know, that you be you, create your own reality, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And you see it everywhere. You know, you see it in music, advertising. I see it when I watch, you know, sports, football games. I see it there. It's constantly. And this is what moral, relative, moral relativism is. It's a philosophy that uh, asserts there is no global, absolute moral law that applies to all people for all time and in all places. It's the philosophy that says there is no absolute moral law, no absolute moral objective law that applies to everyone everywhere. And that's kind of an odd statement because moral relativists absolutely <laughs> make those statements about there's nothing absolute. But, you know, they don't care about that. It's not a conflict to them. That's just the way it is. And that's what we come in conflict with. Now, here's the thing. I'm not preaching a series against that or attacking that. But what I'm going to do is, over the month of January, is try to help followers of Christ understand how we live in this cultural realm. Because we are in what the name of the series is all about, a collision. I mean, that's the series. We're a collision with that culture. It's unavoidable. I mean, we're, we're heading to it. And so here's the thing. Here's the question that I want to ask and pose in, in this series. And it's this. How does a follower of Jesus honor God, grow in faith, and reach people for Jesus in a collision with a culture that's hostile to Jesus. How do I do the things as a follower of Christ I'm supposed to do? Honor God, grow up my faith, reach other people. That's what we do. If I'm in a culture that is hostile to Christ and I'm colliding with that culture. So we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. And the very first message is entitled Collision. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And here's what I want you to get from the message today. If God really speaks to us, then what he says and reveals is the true and absolute authority. If God really speaks to us, and we're going to see that he does, then what he says to us, what he reveals, is the true and absolute authority. So I'm going to begin today by uh, talking about the book of Hebrews. And to kind of do this, I'm, I, just, I want you to imagine yourself... You know, a long, long time ago, in a place far, far away, you know, some of you, you know, there's, there's no Darth Vader, but it's close, okay. And you're a Christian, and you need to understand, it is hard to be a Christian. It's really hard in that world. And in particular, if you come from a Jewish background, you would think if, if you're a Christian who was Jewish, a Jewish Christian, that it should be simple, that, you know, Jesus was Jewish and come out of that world, and that it should be you're the fulfilled Jew, the, you, you, all the fulfillment that's there. But in reality, the Jews had rejected Jesus. And so you're a Christian, and you're in the 50s and 60s in that time, and Christianity is becoming less Jewish and really more Gentile. And you're in a church, and, and, and the church is, you know, kind of small, because they were all kind of small back then. But here's the thing, if you're born Jewish, the Jewish world is your community, even as a follower of Christ. I mean, your family, your business, it doesn't matter where you're all. You're in Cairo, uh, you're in Alexandria, you're in Rome, you're in Ephesus, you're in Athens, Corinth. It doesn't matter where you may think you be, you are. Your, your, your world is the world of Jews, your, your social life, their everything. But they've rejected you because you follow Christ. Your family cuts you off. You're not, you lost your business associates. You don't want to connect with the Gentiles. You may do it with business, but, you know, the Gentiles are pagan. They're filthy and unclean, even though you're a follower of Jesus. You know, and, and the church is small, and what do you do? And you're, to add, add to all that, to make it even worse, and you're, all of a sudden, the Gentile, the Roman world's beginning to persecute Christians. You're starting to get persecuted for being a follower of Christ. And so you're probably thinking at that time, why did I do this? 
Why did I as a Jew do this? Or you're a Jew thinking about becoming a Christian. You may be saying, why would I want to do this? And so the temptation is to leave Christ behind and go back to just being Jewish. And to those people, there was a book written that we call Hebrews. We don't really know who wrote it. We don't really know where he wrote it from or where the destination was. You have a pretty good idea of the date. It's about the mid-60s A.D. But we do know what's at stake. He wrote it most likely to primarily Jewish believers or Jews who were thinking about becoming believers who were going to reject Jesus. And he said, if you reject Jesus, what do you got? He is superior to Moses and the law. He's superior to the tabernacle, to the sacrificial system, to the priesthood. He is superior to all that. Not only is he superior to all that, that system, that culture, that covenant is dead. Hebrews 8. It's obsolete. It's dead. Christ has fulfilled it all. Where are you going to turn? When you are in a collision with the culture, what happens if you turn away from Jesus? First one, God, after he spoke long ago. Now, the subject is God, and it says God spoke. And, and, and that's one of the, the fundamental things that a Jew would cling to, Christian or not Christian, is that God speaks. We know something about God because he speaks to us. And in fact, we call that revelation, God revealing himself to us as a Christian with a non-Jewish background. That's still fundamental. I mean, one of the things I teach all the time to y'all is that there are four basic pillars of our faith. Two are unique to the New Testament. The incarnation of Jesus, which is Christmas, and the resurrection of Jesus, which is in Easter. And then two are found in Genesis 1. That's creation, that God created something from nothing, and revelation. That whatever we know about God, we know because God has chosen to reveal it to us, and we couldn't know it otherwise. We can't know it otherwise. So God spoke long ago, and the long ago part relates to when he began to speak to people of Israel as a nation. That was Abraham. He began with Abraham. He spoke long ago. He spoke to the fathers, our ancestors, and the prophets, through the prophets. That's not just talking about Elijah and Samuel and Isaiah and those guys. Anyone whom God worked with in their history considered a prophet. So Abraham, Moses, David, all those guys would be thrown into there. Deborah in the book of Judges, Ruth, all of them would be a part of that. He spoke in many portions and in many ways. Now, those two phrases translate just two words in the Greek that really are kind of alliterate. In fact, they are the, the first words of the sentence. They're there for emphasis. Some of your versions may have in uh, many times or in, in, in many manners, but the same, same concepts. What it means is this, that God spoke through all types of people, and he did it in all types of ways. It was fragmented. None of it was, there was just not one person that all was wrapped up in. I mean, in, in Mo, he spoke to Abraham uh, with an angel appeared, and God kind of came direct. Later on, he would speak to Abraham through the resurrection, through the, his uh, sacrificing of, of Isaac, which he didn't do. He spoke through, through Joseph in dreams. Moses had the burning bush. The prophet Samuel came to David. Nathan came to David. Dad came to David. The prophet spoke to David. Then David wrote songs that he speaks to us. I mean, all of that God is speaking through all the different ways and portions. It was fragmented. It was partial. It was here and there. You couldn't get it all in one place. But, verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. And the son is, is Jesus. He says, he has spoken. The idea of spoken here is once and for all. 
he has spoken. It says, in these last days. Now, these last days is interesting. It's uh, the Greek word, uh, we get our term eschaton, eschatology from it. Um, some people think it means in the end times he speaks, but that doesn't fit the context and it doesn't, that's not going to work. So it kind of comes to two things which are really very similar. It may mean, uh, as the Jews thought of time, and remember, it's going to be Hebrew way of thinking, that before Christ, before the Messiah, I should say, before the Messiah would come, which would be Jesus, before the Messiah, they lived in one time, and that the Messiah would come and bring in the last days that brought about the great kingdom of God. So he could be saying, since Jesus has come and ushered in the kingdom of God in the last days, which, by the way, throughout the New Testament, there's the understanding that when Jesus came, the last days came with him. We live in the last days now. I thoroughly believe that 100% because that's what is taught in the New Testament, that with the coming of Christ, this is the last, because there's nothing after Jesus but eternity. Or it could mean this, that when God began to speak and started with Abraham, there was a time that he would speak, and then a time it would come to an end. And with the speaking through Jesus, it has come to an end. It's at the last. There's no more. Now, either way you look at it, here's the thing. There's something final and complete. When it comes to Jesus, God's not saying any more after him. He is the final revelation of God. That's what this verse means. It says, he appointed him heir of all things, and through whom also he made the world. The idea of being heir, the, the, the connection between the heir, the son, and the father is the, the joining together, the connection of the similar. I mean, he is not the heir because he was created and inherited like you and I do. It's from all eternity it was his. And in, in him, he created the world. The, the term world, uh, in some of your versions, may have uh, universe or ages. The word, is not, the, the word is not the normal word for term for world, cosmos. It's, it's the word eon. It means the ages, all the different periods. So all the periods of human history, all the times when God spoke or didn't, spoke, didn't speak, you know, Jesus, all of that was created in him, through him. He was the agency of all that. What it's saying is all that belongs to him. God can speak through Jesus in completeness and in finality because everything belongs to him. What you have here is what we call progressive revelation. It's the idea that progressively, God progressively reveals to us his plan until it comes to Christ and it's finalized. Before Christ, it's fragmented. Doesn't mean it's not valuable. Doesn't mean what he says isn't true. But it means it's all leading up to something. Think of it this way. And all analogies have kind of breakdowns. But the Old Testament's like a, a jigsaw puzzle. I'm not good with puzzles. I don't know if you are. I, I, I just, I mean, yeah, if there's 20 pieces, I'm fine. Like that. But you people that, that do a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, do you not have lives? I mean, that's... It's impossible. I'm sitting there looking at the box saying, I don't see that piece anywhere. So, if you, But if you get a puzzle, you know, you, you know you, I'm not an expert, so maybe I'm doing it wrong. But you start with the corners, you know, and then you kind of get the idea and you build around it. And every piece is important. You can't miss any piece. Have you ever met someone who's got like a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle and, and they only have 999 pieces? They know exactly what it looks like, but they're missing that one piece. And, and, and their life can't go on. They turned the whole house over, I mean, to find the one piece. But when you get it all together, there's the picture. The Old Testament's like that puzzle. It's fragmented. But when you put it all together, the picture is Jesus. He completes it. And, and I say this to you all the time. The Old Testament promises something. The New Testament fulfills it. It's Jesus. Now, I know there's breakdowns in that analogy, but what you've got to realize is that God speaks once and for all in Jesus. So why in the world 
Would you want to leave Jesus to go back to a broken, fragmented way? You want to go back to the law of Moses and the law is partial. You want to go back to the sacrificial system is partial. Whatever you go back to is fragmented. And you're in a collision, you Hebrew Jewish believers, you're in a collision with the culture around you. But if you abandon Christ to go back to your old culture, you're going back to a fragmented system with bits and pieces that lacks the finality of the authority of God in your life. So understand this in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews tells us this, that we can know something about God because historically he tells us something about himself. He has spoken many times, or he spoke in many ways. Historically God speaks So we can know something about him because he chooses to speak to us. Well, that's critical. As a a Christian, I can look through all of the pages of the old and new and see God speaking. But understand this, that whatever God says or reveals to us or tells us must have authority, final authority. I mean, if it's God saying it, then whatever he says is authoritative, right? I mean, you ever met someone who's, who wants to disagree with God? And it happens all the time in our culture. I mean, I don't believe that. I could never love a God who did this. I, God, I, don't, you know, I don't buy this about God. Well, that's fine, but understand, you're disagreeing with God. And it's okay, because you're rebelling against him anyways. But if God speaks, he has authority. Even if he hasn't finished speaking, what he says up to that point has authority. So understand this then, if Jesus is God's final authority, then Jesus, God's final revelation, then Jesus is God's final authority. If revelation ends in Jesus, and it does, the authority of God ends in Jesus. In other words, it's all found there. So Jesus could say, I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. He's it. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is difficult. And I understand that. And we'll have people who will be in our church services today. You may not be a follower of Christ. And I understand this may be confusing a little bit. And a lot of times, most of the time when I preach, my messages are really geared towards people who may not be followers of Christ. <clears throat> but sometimes messages tend to be geared more towards people who are followers. And you're kind of, it's kind of like you're sitting in on a conversation. You ever been like maybe at a restaurant someplace and you hear a conversation and you start listening into it? Now, I know ladies, of course you do, always. But I mean, guys, this is new to you. I'm sorry, but the person in my life who would filter me from saying that isn't around to filter me, so I just say this. I'm not going to get a dirty look or get lectured or worry about anything afterwards. But, you know, and I was that way the other day. I was in a, a place listening, and I was listening to conversations, and, and, and you're kind of like, am I interested in the conversation or not? Do I want to get engaged in it or not? Or you look through a window, you know, and you look in, and you see people doing things on the other side of the window, and you're trying to decide, is that for me or is that not for me? That's kind of where you are. You hear this about Jesus being the final authority, and you're trying to understand, is this for you or not? But what you need to realize is this is the basics of Christianity. This is Christianity 101. That Jesus is the final revelation of God and the final authority of God. And when we clash with the culture, we always defer to Jesus, never the culture. So why would you, the author of Hebrews says, abandon Christ to go back to something that is partial and fragmented? Which brings me to the second thing I want to share with you today. It's this, who gets to decide? (laughs) 
you know. Who get, when, when you clash with someone, when cultures collide, who gets to decide? I, I hear this quite often. I talk to people who say this. You know, it's my life. I should be able to live it the way I want. And to some degree, I believe that. I mean, I, I, I hear you. I mean, that's really a, a, a Christian understanding. I'm accountable for my life before God. None of you are answering for me when I face the Lord. Thank goodness none of you are answering for me. And I'm glad I'm not answering for you because it wouldn't be a good answer. But I'm held accountable, so I have to live my life. But... You know, there's still standards. And, and, this, and I, I get this all the time. It's like, I, one of the things I love about being a Southern Baptist is our church is autonomous. No denominational people tell us how to live our life. None. Period. The minute they try, they get booted out the door. You don't tell us how to live our life as Baptists. You know, not denomination doesn't. I mean, so that's part of it, you know. I mean, I, I see that so many things. So I get that. But there still has to be a standard. There still has to be some system. What is it? You can't just say, well, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. You do your reality and I'll do my reality. What happens when our realities collide? Can they both exist? Historically, history says no. I mean, World World II began because there was this guy who wanted to create his own reality to dominate the world. And for a thousand years, and he wanted to wipe out entire races of humanity, multiple races of humanity. And he began that conquest. And there were people that said, that's, you can't do that. Reality doesn't exist. And eventually, America got drugged into it. And America said, you're not going to do that. And, and when all is said and done, we put an end to it. That's, that's what happens. Eventually, one reality takes precedence. And it's the way it is in, in faith. And here we are as a church. And with Christ in collision with the culture around us. And there are groups of Christians. There were churches and entire denominations that are starting to side with culture. And it's frustrating. Why? Why does the church want to be relative? I hear that all the time. One of my favorite things is, is when a preacher says, well, we have relevant preaching. Let me tell you something. I don't get to decide if I have relevant preaching. You decide if I have relevant preaching. I decide if it's good preaching. <laughs> you decide if it's relevant preaching. <laughs> it's a little, little pastor humor to start the year off with. And so I hear churches saying, you know, since, since there's so many different types of people with so many systems and so many religions, there's got to be more than one way to Jesus. Well, if you're in a church or you have a pastor that thinks there's more than one way to Jesus, you've just rejected Jesus. You've rejected our faith. Or I'll hear when people say, you know, we're all God's children. And God made us all differently, and God accepts all of us exactly the way we are. Really? We know that that's not how life works. Parents, you love your kids, but do you accept everything they do as being okay? Of course not. Not if you love them. When, when, when you're a parent of a teenager, do you not collide all the time? Do your kids not say at some point, I hate you? And you think, well, I hate you too. <laughs> And I say things like, I wish you weren't my parent. And I might say, well, right now I'm greening with you. I wish I wouldn't either. <laughs> you know, we adopted Kelly when she was 10 days old. I used to tell her, baby, I got the receipts. I can take you back in exchange. <laughs> she used to laugh and said, Dad, you wouldn't do that. Well, when she was little, she was right. Somehow I lost a receipt when she turned about 16 because I was tempted. <laughs> even at a discount, you know. We know that doesn't work. And what people want to do is they want to design their own version of Jesus. I, I talk about this all the time. Everybody about the designer Jesus, preach sermons about it. You want to take Jesus and make him fit whatever you want. I was watching, I'm watching a football game last night. I'm watching, you know, Georgia, 
Ohio State, after Texas Christian University beat Michigan, so Texas prevailed, yes. The only time you got. It'd have been better if it was the University of Texas, but in my past church had, Brooks, uh, had a bunch of TCU people. But you know, I'm watching, and so whenever I'm watching something live and, and the commercial comes on, I mute it, but I'm watching, but I'm muted, I'm doing something else, I look up, and there's, I can tell it's a political, social political ad, and blah, 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 I don't care what it's for. And at the end, they bring up Jesus, and, and because they got closed captioned, they're leveraging Jesus for their viewpoint. I'm like, oh, come on. Jesus has nothing to do with that. I don't care if you're conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican. I don't care, you know, if you're communist, socialist, libertarian, Methodist, Presbyterian, what you are, man. If you, if you try to leverage Jesus to get your view across, you've missed the purpose of Jesus. He's not to be leveraged. You've designed and created your own Jesus. You have. And we all can be guilty of doing that. Understand this. This is important. If you reject Jesus as authority... You have to replace him with something or someone else. If you're going to reject him, well, you've got to replace him. John 14, verse 6. One of the I am statements of Jesus and found in the Gospel of John. There's seven of them. And uh, amazing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's an emphatic statement. In the Greek, it means something like this. I and I alone and the way, the truth, and the life. Or I absolutely am the only way, truth, or life, and you can by no means ever come to the Father except through me. And you preach or teach, as some preachers in, in churches do now, there's more than one way to God besides Jesus. You've just rejected Jesus, and you've replaced him with something else. Understand also that the nature and work of Jesus authenticate his authority. Debbie and I have purchased over the years some small pieces of kind of art that come with their certificate of authenticity in numbered. Who Jesus is and what he did authenticates his authority in life. Last year, I did that whole series starting the first Sunday of the year through Mark, went 17 weeks. In Mark chapter 2, there's a guy that's paralyzed, that's brought to Jesus. And back then, they believed if something like paral- if you were paralyzed, something like that, it was a result of your sin, or if it was from birth, it was your parents' sin. It was a result of sin. Which is not true, but they would believe that. So Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> In the first place, the guy's thinking, I didn't want my sins forgiven, I just want to walk. But the religious leaders are saying, how can you think and how can you forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. That's a true statement. Only God can forgive sin. Jesus, knowing their hearts, said, which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Because if you say get up and walk, they have to prove it. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But he says, so you'll know the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, he said, pick up your mat and walk, and he did. See, Jesus authenticated his authority. With those two things in mind, here's what I want to challenge you to do. In a collision with culture, be fluent in Jesus. Become fluent in Jesus. I shared this with you last year in Mark. Listen, all of the Bible, old and new, were equally inspired, but they're not equally valuable for your life. In November, I read Leviticus Numbers in Deuteronomy because I hadn't read them in two or three years. The part about God being holy, fantastic. But when I'm reading everything in the tabernacle, I don't care. When I'm reading them numbering all of the tribes time and time again, I don't care. It has no value in my life because I'm a Jesus follower and he has value in my life. So I spend most of my time reading about Jesus. I, I, right now I'm reading Mark. 
before Christmas, I read Luke because I preached from Luke. I'm going to preach from John throughout Easter. I'm going to read John pretty soon. I'll read Matthew later. I'm preaching from Acts this year. I'm reading Ball of Acts at some point. Acts tells the story of the early church with Jesus. I'm going to read the, all the letters because the letters tell about Jesus. I'm going to be fluent in Jesus. When people come up to me and ask me, you know, I'm struggling. I need to get close to God. I need to, have, I need to be saved. I'm not going to the Old Testament. I'm going to Jesus. You're in a collision with the culture, not because of the Old Testament. You're in a collision with culture because of Jesus. Be fluent in Jesus. And understand this. If you cast Jesus aside, whatever you replace him with is immensely inferior. And you end up living in rebellion against God. Whatever you replace Jesus with, the book of Hebrews says is inferior. And you live in rebellion against God. So the author of Hebrews says, why would you leave Jesus to go back to that old fragmented way? Why would you not follow Jesus? Why would you accept the culture and give in to the collision with the culture and go back to a way of life that puts you in rebellion against God, of misery, of no hope? of no assurance, of no love from God. So again, the message today by saying, if God really speaks, then what he says and reveals to us is the true, and it is the authentic authority. It's the absolute authority. Hebrews says he speaks to Jesus once and for all. That is the authority. And if you deny that, you, my friend, are denying Christ and denying the faith. In a collision with our culture, more than ever before, you need Jesus. So I want to share with you that our time of invitation, in just a minute, I'm going to be here, a couple of other people, ladies, if you'd rather pray or talk to another lady, you can. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. Make this commitment this year that you'll be fluent in Jesus. That whatever else happens, you're going to be fluent in Jesus. That when you collide with the culture because of Jesus, do this, trust Jesus in that collision. Take his side, agree with him, whatever it may be. Third, be sure that you authenticate the authority of Christ. In other words, that you let people know that Jesus is the authority of your life and not anything else. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you want to do that, you can. You need to begin there. And while I have not preached that message, you can always trust Christ, and we'll be here to help you. If you want to join our church, you can. If you want us to pray for you or pray with you and pray about those things, but be sure you understand this today. When you walk out of here, if a follower of Jesus, you are in a collision this year with the culture. You better walk out fluent in Jesus. So, Father, we thank you. So this beautiful letter of Hebrews, and we're not going to get all of it, obviously. It just starts off so simple. You speak to us, and ultimately and finally, you speak to us in Jesus. So let us trust him with our lives for salvation. Let us trust him in this clash we have, this collision with the culture around us. We'll love people, yes. We'll care for people, yes. But in that collision, we're going to go with Jesus. Let us make that commitment today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand? You come.
and we'll be here.